Hello everyone and welcome to the King's Church podcast. Uh, with me today, I've got a special guest, a very special guest in Jill Jackson. Um, hello Jill. Morning Mike. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Jill has been part of King's Church, uh, we are just discussing for a long, long time actually, since before I was even, uh, even here uh, Personally, just don't go into dates, okay? Just yeah, stop. 1988, which yeah. actually I reminded Jill was a, a year uh, after I was born was when you started attending this church, coming to this church when it started. Um, and Jill uh, speaks at Kings from time to time. Um, and in, in my thoughts on you, Jill, you have such a wonderful mind and the way that you think things through and, and challenge people. And you've certainly challenged me personally over the years with things that you've brought at the front um, and some different things that you've said have actually stuck with me. And even I'll steal some of those things and use them good. when I'm speaking yeah, to good, other people good. too. So yeah. I, I'm just kind of confessing there. But um, one of the things I remember you bringing a challenge to me about was uh, about scripture and you, you challenged the whole church, but actually it just stuck with me so much. You challenged the whole church. You know, if we lived in a country where the Bible was, uh, taken away from us overnight yeah. and it was, you know, we hear stories yeah. about people burying Bibles underground in countries where this happens and all sorts of different stories, but you challenge the church. If everybody Everybody lost their Bible overnight. You know, all the apps were taken off our smartphones. Yeah. And Could we and put it together again? Yeah, yeah as a church, yeah, yeah. how much could, could we, we actually, actually remember? remember? Yeah, so I just remember being so challenged by that and thinking, how much could I actually remember and recite accurately? And Same here. Yeah. yeah, but that's an example of some of the challenges you've brought over the years and actually has really challenged me and I've stolen some of those things, but that's okay. Uh, but one of the things many years ago that I heard you share, Jill, was your testimony. Yeah. And I remember there's no better descriptive word really than being just flawed um, by the story. Um, and not so much the story and, and what happened in your life. And, and you know, th there was an accident that happened. It was yep. really yep. tragic and, and sad to hear, but actually it wasn't so much that obviously that's a huge part of it, but it, it was actually the response too that really kind of knocked me sideways and, and just hearing you share how God spoke to you yeah. in, in, in yeah. a moment. Um, so, so today really is your opportunity to share that. And I really believe that those who are listening, those who are kind of going to be taking the time to listen to this are going to be really flawed by how God can speak to speak to anybody in, in some incredible moments of yeah. sadness. And yeah, same for everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I'm really hoping that everybody listening to this is going to get a lot out of it. I know they will. Um, but I just want to encourage everybody who's tuning, tuning in and listening just to have open hearts and just to hear Jill's story. And, uh, and I really believe God can speak to you through what Jill's going to share. So why don't we pray real quick, Jill, is that yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah, cool. Father, we just thank you so much for the stories, even within our church, about your faithfulness, yeah. Lord, about how you love us, how, you, how, Lord, you bring uh, so much joy, even to situations where we just cannot understand how you do it. Yeah. Um, Lord, I just pray for everybody listening right now, uh, that as we go through this story, as we, as we listen to Jill share, 
that we would just uh, be open to you speaking to us, Lord, through her her testimony. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Yeah, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump into your story right now. Um, and uh, here we go. Jill, uh, we're going to start with your early life and I guess what I'd love to see is just a picture of where you grew up, um, some of your earliest memories. Cool. Well, I was born in the south of England, although southerners think I'm northern and northerners think I'm southern. I sort of, but I was born in Surrey in a little village called Chamley Green. Hmm. It had no streetlights, a pub a church, um, a cricket team in a sort of village green and village hall and life centered around the pub, the village hall and the church. So my granddad sang in the church choir. Uh, my mum and dad met through the church choir and sang in the church choir. And I was taken as a child to that church. And it's, I kind of mirrored the rural life it was. It's a proper little rural village. It's millionaire's row now. I mean, my granddad was a painter and decorator. My grand took cleaning jobs and they owned their own house in the village. And you look at it now and they'd never afford it. It's commuted out to London. You know, it's gone all posh. Mm. But when I was there, you know, some of my earliest memories are being lifted up to see like um, a blackbird's nest and being shocked that the eggs were blue. You know, I can remember my granddad yeah. lifted me up to see and and also learning all the wildflowers, names of the wildflowers, because mm. they were never referred to as, oh, a pink flower or whatever. My mum gave them the proper names. Mm. So I learned the proper names for, you know, Coltsfoot and um, Ragwort and Campion. Mm. And it sticks with me today, that yeah. whole, and it, the rhythm of it, you know, life echoed the rural sort of setting I was in really yeah. back then. Sounds like it was a long it was a long time ago. And then we moved up to Durham. Even when I was little, I was three years old, three and a half years old, we moved up to Durham for my dad's job. Now this is I know this is going to be the tricky bit because people always say, well, what did your dad do? And it would take a morning to explain the organisation he worked for and everything. But basically it was a Christian charity organisation. Mm. My mum was a teacher. Um, and we moved up because my mum and dad felt that for my dad's job, he felt called to come and do something slightly different. Mm. So although I left the rural life and moved into Durham when I was little, my grandparents and all my relatives lived there. And because we didn't have much money, we spent all their summer holidays with them. Lovely. Free free place to stay and a great place to stay, you know. Yeah. So I knew it from being little to being well in my 20s, really. Yeah. But quite a change from... Huge change. Growing up, I guess what you would call, if you were to draw an English village and... Totally. You know, to... Put the, the cricket kind of, team, the yeah. duck pond, the works on that, it. it. Yeah. Would, it would basically be be that drawn, picturesque yeah. village. So moving to Durham, which isn't a bad place to move. It's gorgeous lovely, place to move, historic. but very different. Yeah. Yeah. And I was taken along to the Anglican church in the marketplace, St. Nick's, hmm. uh, at a time when... Really, there was a lot of change going on at that church and they dripped all the pews out and were altering it to become somewhere as a hub for the community. 
which I hope it still is because it was in the marketplace and it was somewhere people naturally could go. Yeah. And I was brought up to go to the church and we had great youth work mm. and we went on rallies and camps and sailing weekends. We did it. We had superb youth work. Yeah. And I had a 90 year old Sunday school teacher. <laughs> and so by the time I was 10, I knew who all the Old Testament figures were. You know, we did them every year, Daniel and Moses and Noah and Esther and all the stories. So I knew that from that. And I remember going on a rally at 12, I was about 12, I think, just gone up to the youth group. And I remember people going forward to give their lives to Jesus. Mm. And I sat there and I thought, but I know Jesus lives in my heart. Wow. I, I can't tell you when I became a Christian, but I just was brought up in the faith and never really rejected it. Wow. So you felt like even though maybe friends and people that you part of the youth group with, and wow, by the way, a 90-year-old. 90-year-old Sunday school teacher. Yeah, wow. I mean, they must have been really full of energy. There were two ladies, one, one slightly younger. Yeah. Miss Bell and Miss Bullman, who taught us at Sunday school. Wow. <laughs> until an almost dying day. Yeah. Wow. And incredible. That's really good. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But I guess what you're saying is you grew up with just feeling like it was just so part of your life and installed within you that like re responding to Jesus was like, well, of course I've already responded yeah, to Jesus. It, it was it, like something that that's subconsciously. That's what it felt like. Now my sisters and brother weren't the same because by then I got another sister and a brother. Right. But they um, were kind of different in their walk really. But yeah. mum and dad never shoved it down our throats. But no. it's part of family life. And I think because my dad worked for a Christian charity organization. And I think it, I'm, I'm sharing this because it is part of my story. Mm. We were brought up, my dad had some very weird colleagues mm. and we were brought up to meet anybody from any walk of life right. and they were treated the same. And my parents practiced a very practical form of Christianity mm. where they kind of led the way because they, our house was open to people. Yeah. We had people to stay. We, we, um, there was a scheme at the church to adopt a student hmm. to help them feel part of family life. And once a term, you're supposed to have them for a student tea. So mum and dad signed up and they had took on two girls the first year and they just became part of our family. Yeah. Just literally part of the family. And the second year when they needed more people, loads of people said, oh no, we've got our students and <sighs> whatever. And so mum and dad said, oh, go on then, we'll have some more. Yeah. Um, they took on another three, well, another two yeah. who had a friend. By the time we'd finished, you know, and it's not like we had loads of money. My no. parents, we, I was, I lived in a council flat as a child yeah. and then a house that the, you know, organisation owned. Mm. My mum and dad didn't own their first house. In fact, mm. I owned my first house before they ever wow. owned theirs, yeah. you know. Um, but they were always generous with what they had. Yeah. And um, I think the other thing being in the northeast is, it's seen as quite a difficult place for charity organisations to work. Mm. We're seen as actually, they said down south, was kind of the graveyard of charity workers. Wow. And my dad thought, I'm proving that lot wrong. Yeah. I knew nothing about the northeast of, you know, thought like a lot of southerners, it's coal mines and stuff. Yeah. But boy, did he get on with the people here. Uh, you're too young to remember where. Um, the Riverside Stadium used to be. I do remember where do the Riverside S Stadium used S to be. Do you remember Essen Park? I, I do. Do uh, you? There's a very good reason for that. My uh, I went to visit my 
Nana one time who was in hospital in Middlesbrough. Yeah. And, uh, and her, I thought it was the coolest thing that her hospital room overlooked yeah. the stadium. Yeah. And I just, I, I mean, I, I just remember it so clearly, but, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is my dad, one of the first things he did when we moved to the Northeast is just to give you an example of the kind of work he did. Mm. He found that the streets around the football ground, it used to be places where lots of people were community, but as people had moved away or moved into different housing, it is kind of, um, the, the community wasn't united anymore. Yeah. And there was a lot of mental health issues in that area. I mean, a lot of jobs had gone, you know, and, and this is the 1970s. Mm. And it's difficult. There was lots, you know, politically going on. And he set up some groups that these days, you know, the health service do. But he set up some groups called friendship groups mm. for people who or friendship circles, I think they were called originally, for people who have mental health difficulties in the area. Yeah. Now, that was way, that's 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. But he just saw a need. Yeah, and just and ran to meet it. And met it. And yeah. that model was then used. And they took kids away from kids who social services wouldn't even deal with. Mm. They took them on a holiday to the beach. Wow. And he raised all the money and stuff himself to do it. So what you're talking about here is, I guess, growing up in a in a family that was just culturally different totally and just completely willing to put aside oh yeah you know the needs of the family in order to support the, the it needs was a of bit like that my mum held the fort quite a lot at home yeah and we we got involved where we could yeah and i think the other strand to it is there was a constant battle for money for the charity organization. Mm. So we were the ecology family of the street Wow! back when you shouldn't have been. And it's totally embarrassing if you lived next to your friends yeah. and you had to go round the houses every Saturday morning and collect everybody's newspapers and magazines mm. to like sell for the charity. Yeah. And then we also did it, you know, the, um, I think they call them the fair or the shows mm. used to be on the, on the green down at the bottom of the, where I lived mm. and we didn't go to the shows. We went the next morning with a carrier bag and a magnet to collect all the cans, wow. the aluminium cans. Wow. I mean, my dad couldn't walk past a skip or anything without, Taking uh, without, oh, and then we had to walk home carrying all these things. Yeah. So I guess, although, yeah, embarrassing at times and, and, and maybe just not the best for your street cred. Yes. Um, it, but, 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 but you, still, values, you yeah. still grew up in a family filled with love totally. and, and, totally. and others focused. Yeah. Um, so, so you, you talked about just being 12 years old and people responding to Jesus and you just be yeah. remembering that so well. Um, but you, you, you were saying that by that point, you had pretty much already decided at some point, you don't really remember a specific yeah. time, but yeah. just accepting Jesus. And, and did that stay true throughout the kind of later teens and just as you grew older and grew uh, up? Yeah, actually it, it did. I think I questioned things a lot more hmm. and had a lot more conversations with, but people who were, I mean, great people in Durham because it's a city where there's lots of students and mm -hmm. people open to discussing things yeah. and um, 
not always easy, you know, sort of challenging things mm. that were coming up. But yes, I also knew that just going to church didn't make me a Christian. Yeah. I knew that it wasn't that or being yeah. in a Christian family didn't because I was, you know, with people at school who were in very different sort of situations, really. Mm. So I think I made my faith my own when I went off to university. Yeah. And I realised that there was something missing. Mm. And for me, that was the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you know, and I, I had teaching on one hand from sort of home life and from various churches I've been to that, that, that sort of experience of the Holy Spirit came when you became a Christian and then stopped. Right. And yet there were people in front of me doing weird things like singing in tongues mm. and saying they heard messages from Jesus. Yeah. And my parents have warned me against cults. Right. So I've gone <laughs> along to this kind of youth thing, you know. In which, university. At university. Yeah. And yeah. met all these people who were experiencing that. And they had this spark of life in them. But they said they were good. They sort of taught on it for a few weeks and then said, right, we're going to pray for everybody next week. Mm. And that third week when they prayed for everybody, there were people singing in tongues and talking gibberish as far as I could understand. <laughs> and I just thought, this is it. That's that emotional cult thing. Wow. And I went home and I just, something in me, back to my little student room. Hmm. And I thought, God, if you really want this for me, you can do it here and now. I don't have to be somewhere special. And so I prayed before I went to bed, before I knew it. I was speaking gibberish too, as far as I could tell. Wow. I literally, and by God's grace, he baptized me in his Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, he's poured something into my life then, it's all I yeah. can say. Or there was a spark there and it suddenly became a flame. So in that moment, I guess what you said, so you're, you're saying I received the gifts, gifts of tongues in that moment in it, my room. It, and I honestly, I did not make it up. Mm. It sounded to my ears like I was saying Alabama. <laughs> you know, and all, the only thing I knew about was that place in, you know, America yeah. and a chocolate cake oh, okay. that you could buy at the time, you know, but, but actually, you know, the proof of the pudding is in the experience itself that yeah. I know. But in that moment, I mean, how did you feel? Did you feel like it was I the Holy like Spirit? Just... I, d I did, but it was not like all emotional. No. God's been so gracious with me over that because I don't think I would trust things that are quite... Just I mean, emotional. being brought up, yeah. you know, to question and think about things. Mm. It made sense to me. Yeah. And the experience backed up what I had read and made sense intellectually. Wow. Even though those two things are so far apart, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's so difficult to explain stuff like that, isn't mm. it? I just know that I know that I know, which is no help to anybody, is it? No, but you know that you know. I know that I know. And how did things, I guess it's not just knowing in your heart, it's things change in your life. Totally. When you experience, you know, the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, and when it becomes less academic and more real. Real part of your life. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how, how did things change after that night then in terms of you walk with Jesus and... I would you know. say the Bible came alive more. Wow. So all those stories I've been taught faithfully over the years, everything I knew was suddenly like somebody took a yellow highlighter pen, which had just come in at the time hmm. and highlighted <laughs> bits. So when I was reading God's word, it, bits would jump out and speak to me personally. Wow. And then I'd feel like bits jumped out and were speaking for, to other people as well. And hmm. I felt like, 
I would, you know, tentatively share things and didn't know people's situation and it, it would be spot on for them. That's incredible. And that can only come through, the, you know, some something supernatural. Mm. And people get shy of this stuff, but why have a God who, why believe in a God who isn't supernatural? Mm. I mean, the whole thing is, yeah. why not? Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is just in that moment, you start sharing, you start being a little braver to share. Yeah, maybe definitely. Maybe what you feel the Holy Spirit saying. And then all of a sudden you find that, oh, God's actually using God me God is here. actually, and it's, that's an incredibly humbling feeling. Yeah. You know, it's, some people say, you know, you get, they get puffed up by, but I always found it very humbling. Mm. God, I've got that right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So university then I guess was, a complete change in you in your walk with Jesus. It was yeah. it was about him speaking to you. Yeah. The scripture just is wide open. Yeah. And you can just kind of read through things and you know be amazed totally. at what God's saying to you. And 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 but also God's using through his spirit, he's speaking to other people too. And there was a depth of relationship there, which I know people describe in in situations like that. But I've still got those friends now. Hmm. I mean, we live all over the country. Yeah. But we stay in contact. However, be it, you know, it might be less times a year than, you know, we would have seen each other. Yeah. But there's a depth of relationship there that comes out of that experience and walking a walk together. Yeah. You know, we were alongside each other in it. Amazing. All, all of us are different. Yeah. Yeah. But God, God's, you're still unified in your relationship That's with it. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that's any what commitment the, to follow him, and you know that that's something that links you in a really weird, definitely weird way. Yeah, yeah. So you're at university, and you were studying at I the was. same time as kind of I was studying the Word of God. You were studying yeah. academically. Yeah. And what were you studying? To, I studied to do? English literature and language. Loved mm. it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, I would be found in the library long after. Other, I mean, I'm not saying I was a SWAT, but I loved what I was doing <laughs> and I got a really good degree. Yeah. I didn't choose to go to Hull by circumstances. I ended up there, hmm. but I did get good A-level results. It's just, oh, it's just a huge, you know, that's another story for another day, really. Yeah. And um, after that, I did a PGC in Durham. Wow. To so become you became a teacher, a teacher. To become a teacher. But there's this kind of twist here. I was engaged to somebody at the time and we were going to get married and live in Durham. Mm. And the best way to say is things didn't work out that way. Right. Um, and so I ended up with this PGC in Durham, not really wanting to be there. Right. Um, but was really glad I stayed on. Yes. I loved my job. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. So you're a teacher like your mum? Yeah. How did your mum feel about you? She was really pleased. In fact, there's been an epidemic of teachers in my family ever since. Wow. My sister, my brother-in-law, my brother, my sister-in-law are all teachers. And the nephews, the next generation down, teachers, my only auntie's a teacher and all her children are teachers. Wow. That's a lot of we're, we're doing quite well, aren't we? Yeah, you, you yeah, seem but, to be doing well. Yeah, That's good. I, I love my job and I'd like to say I was good at it. Yeah. I don't think I did very well at teaching any child maths. Mm -hmm. I was probably a really bad science teacher to the Littlies, but every child I taught could read when they left my class. Well, that's, that's And that good. is something. Yeah, that's brilliant. In these, you know. 
And I guess it's whatever you feel passionate about is, is the totally. easiest to teach. Totally. So, You've got to love the job. Yeah. So I'm just going to rewind for a second. Yep. Because you have mentioned, we are going to talk about your marriage yep. and your husband. So, yep. so we're just going to kind of put things in the context here. So you, yeah. you are studying. Yep. And you said that you're engaged. Yep. Um, can you just... Yeah, I was engaged to somebody I was at school with. Right. And uh, we'd been engaged a while. Yeah. And he came from Durham. Right. And his family were very involved in the church. Yeah. It's probably why I'm being a bit careful about what I'm saying, because it's water under the bridge now. But Okay, um, so you didn't get married. We didn't. I didn't marry him. I married somebody else. Yes. So we split up. Uh, the year my PGC was, and then I stayed on in Durham. Mm. I bought my own house in Durham, mm. little two up, two down. Wow. Cost me 17 and a half thousand pounds. Wow. Yeah, that's how, but that, and I lived, and the, we were kind of, everybody who bought their own houses in the church almost lived in two streets. Yeah. That, and then the posh people lived across the other side of town. <laughs> so I lived opposite some people who, you know, are part of this church or other churches around the country now. Yeah. And we all lived in the same street. Wow. And kind of bought each other's houses. Yeah. Um, and I bought one, even though I was single, I was the first single woman to do it. Wow. But just thought, I'm not going to live with lots of people who get engaged all the time and then get married and end up, you know, s- sort of the only single person hmm. who was, a, you know, because people live with them all the time, which yeah. is the pattern for the girls in the church. Yeah. So I just thought, now I'm by my own house. <laughs> and I actually loved being... That, those years of being single like that were great. Yeah. It was a really good time and a, a time God was with me in my life and mm. a time of flourishing and having good friendships with people and everything. And my husband, mm. I don't know, I, modern terminology escapes me, but back then you had to ask somebody out. You knew where you stood. <laughs> if you're a boy, you asked a girl out. You say, do you want to go out with me? Mm. Right. And I just wouldn't. I mm. he had to ask me three times before I ever started a <laughs> wow. relationship with him. Wow. He persevered, bless him. So tell us about tell us about right. Him. Well, he's, he was called Keith. Keith. He came from um, up Ashington Way, Bedlington. Yeah. is where he came from. So way north of you know Darlow. I'm not surprised you turned him down a few times then. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and he was at Durham University, but I didn't know him then. We our paths never crossed then he was friends of another friend of mine yeah uh becky ward yes uh they were you know together mm. and um we i lived with becky for a year um mm. before she got married we all moved in together as three teachers mm. and so i sort of met him met him through her yeah. but didn't really know him yeah until he moved to the side of town i lived and then he was just big, part of the big gang we all hang out in. And, you know, we met at the pub at nine o'clock at night after we'd all, you know, worked for the day or whatever. Yeah. He was a teacher, but shortly after we got married, he gave that up. Yeah. Because I think he would have killed somebody. He just didn't enjoy it the job. He just didn't enjoy it. He didn't, didn't like fourth year girls. Right. 
They just couldn't do it. So fourth year girls, we're we talking about year 10, I'm guessing now. I don't know. So Let I'd, me work I'd, out six, seven, eight, like year 10. Okay. Yeah. So, so they, they're, they're teenagers. That's how old teenagers. I am. I don't think like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Teenagers. I'm just trying to help people Stroppy, stroppy teenagers. Right. Who don't really want to be doing Macbeth and who, who no. you know, and especially with Sir who wanted them to be. Yeah. You know. So I can imagine that was quite a struggle. So he he wasn't he wasn't the person who loved teaching, especially when people weren't necessarily engaged. No. So but you guys met and he met asked you church. out a few times. Yep, he persevered. And you said yes. Eventually caved in. Yeah. Well, yeah, cool. eventually. And then we got married um probably about <laughs> nine months after we got engaged. Yeah. Easter time. Freezing, blowy, windy day in Durham and in a carpet factory. Wow, okay. It was not the prettiest of venues. No, I can imagine that wasn't the prettiest. And really people were like, some of my colleagues were like, what? Where is it? You're getting married in a carpet factory. Right. But is there a reason for the carpet factory? The carpet factory was where the church met. Right. Okay. That so makes sense. that makes huge sense. So it? it was a carpet factory. It wasn't factory, like a trendy venue, like, you know, getting married on the pitch of a football team or anything. Yeah. It was a factory that we met in. Yeah. But it, but it was your church it where your church, church met. It's where the church met. So, so not as you, plush as a place I'm sitting in now. Yeah. You could still see it was an industrial building right. that. But it, but it had some sentiment to you. Totally. You it was where care. my, it's where the family were and the church of the family, they're the people. Yeah. I could have got married in a, you know, t- muddy field yeah. as long as the people around me were my church, my family. That's and right. Whatever. It's that that counted to me, yeah. you know, yeah. but um, yeah. So you guys got married pretty quickly. We got married. Yeah. But we, you know, we weren't going to hang around. We wanted to get on with our lives and also, we felt called by God to be part of something smaller by then. Right. I'd been with the church for a good six, seven years and knew it before then because the parents of my first fiancé were in part of that church. So I'd right. known it in its, its very beginning, Emmanuel in Durham. Mm. And so I, I'd been with it and I think it, it got bigger and bigger. Mm. And I liked the joy of starting something small again yeah so we came down to darlington when we got married oh so this and is bought a house, a house this is 1988 so this is 88 yeah so we bought and a house you, in darlington I'm, I'm sorry to do this but you were how old at this point Jim? i was 26 you were 26 at this point yeah so you're a young couple yeah you've come down to darlington yeah exciting a church plant here that's exactly it um yeah and you're excited you Buy a house here, sold your house in Durham. Yeah, sold a house in Durham, bought a house here. And were you teaching here in Darlington? Taught or? in, I got a new, I, we both got new jobs at the same time, actually, Keith and I. Um, a few months after we moved, he got a job with Cambridge University Press. Wow. Um, which he loved, but was away from home quite a lot. Yes. And I got a job in North Yorkshire in a village school. Wow, okay. Loved it. I bet. Oh, just the best job. Well, it takes Manfield. you back to your childhood with a village That's as well. exactly it. It was that connection mm. and loved it, loved it, loved it. And um, we were part of a quite an exciting, you know, church, church just, there weren't this many people here and we got to know everybody in the church. Yeah. And there's a sense of um, community and a sense of getting on with the job. Mm. We were doing the house up at the same time. Yeah. You know, like 
are discovering, you know, bits and pieces about it that had not shown up on surveys <laughs> and all that the rest. That tends to be know. the case when you yeah. buy a house. Where, where did you buy your house in Darlington? It was Fife Road. Fife Road, yeah. Yeah, Fife Road. Um, the smaller ones, not the huge ones at the end. Yeah. Little yard at the back. And, lovely. But lovely, lovely house. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it, what was that like, that early, early married life? I think I'm... We're both, we were both quite independent people. Mm. And I think um, we clashed quite a lot mm. as well as loved each other to bits. Of course. You know, we were, um, Keith had a really wicked sense of humour mm. that every pe- everybody but me often found funny. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, because I just found it irritating sometimes mm. not to be able to have a, like sensible conversation with him. Yeah. It was great at DIY. Yeah. Really good, but not very good at finishing things. Mm. He was forever blowing himself up. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I went out one day and said, if you're going to kill yourself, I'm leaving the house. That's fused and sent you across the, you know, the, the kitchen floor yeah. twice. Yeah. I said, I can't stay in the house and you do that But again. he'd rather do it himself than pay, pay for totally. somebody else. Yeah. It's only if I threatened to take over the job when he didn't finish something, like I'm going to tile a kitchen that he would he'd snap actually, into action. he'd quickly finish off, don't touch the tiles. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to yeah. life when, when things changed, right? Yeah. Things took a turn. Yeah. So we're going to get into that. Yeah. Um, and we're going to just chat about what what that was like and it kind of sets the scene for that yeah. day. Um, so yeah, I think I mean, we it just say that, like any young couple, we were looking forward to kids, mm. you know, growing old together, finishing the house off, progressing in our jobs, mm. being part of a, you know, the church as it grew. Yeah, yeah. So you had dreams. Yeah, totally, totally. Like anybody else, yeah, had a huge future ahead of yeah. us. Yeah. yeah, and then and then the day kind of changed plans. One one sort of minute changed everything. Okay, so. We're at the day of the accident. Yeah. Um, it was a major day in your life. Um, 18th of August, 1989. 1989. That's how I can, you know, 17 months I got married. Yeah. We were on a journey up to Scotland for summer holidays. Hmm. And um, I think we decided to go a day early. I can't remember why we went a day early. We just did. And we decided to go the pretty route. Up the A sixty eight. I mean, Keith's obviously really familiar with Northumberland, so we thought we'd go up that way and drive up that way. And we had really quite a freak accident driving up a hill where on the left hand side there was like a sheer drop mm. and there was a bus broke down in front of us, a really old bus. Keith went to overtake it and just as we got level with the almost the driver's side. He got it going again and pulled mm. away. We clipped the front of it and the car just spun right over and rolled down the hill to the bottom of it. Mm. And there was 
like a, a huge bang as it rolled and then the impact of rolling obviously and we ended up we ended up upside down at the bottom of the hill hmm. and he died almost instantly and I knew that I knew that he was there and they're not there hmm. I don't I'm not sure how to explain that but I just knew that the sense of him had gone and I thought I mean, I was bleeding and I could see my knees were bleeding I was and I couldn't feel it yeah and I didn't know at that time that I was paralyzed but I remember being in the car and going oh god don't leave me now <laughs> you know and I remember that verse I will not leave you or forsake you hmm. and that's the one that came in my head yeah and that's why it's so good to know your scripture because it's like something you can stand on and hold God to hmm. it's like he's got the end of the rope because he said that hmm. that's why he said to you if you can just hang on to that other end of it yeah and so I would say in the middle of it all all I could think was just God be with me yeah and that I have to say that verse has come back to me again and again and again. Yeah. God is with us in the horrible stuff of our lives. He's mm. with us in it. But yeah. there were there were a couple of things that happened in that moment though. You were still conscious. Yeah. So you were still you you knew that yeah. something terrible had happened. It yeah. wasn't like you woke up earlier and found things out. No. It was actually in the moment you you knew that. I, I knew, I knew things, but I didn't know. You don't understand when you're paralyzed, you see, you don't understand the full implications of that. Mm. So I was taken to the nearest hospital, yeah, uh, which was um, Hexham, but it also had the regional spinal unit there. Wow. And I basically, I'd broken my neck. Right. So I was paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah. And the treatment for that is horrible because you you can't move anyway, but you are literally, you have your head drilled. These They put these metal things in your head yeah. and they hang these weights from the end of it to sort of extend your spine. And you are stuck on a bed that revolves. Wow. Horrid. Absolutely horrible. And at the same time, I mean, I had other injuries too, but that was by far the most serious one because yeah. it affects your breathing. It affects your sense of touch and uh, feel everything. Just everything is completely. Mm. So life changed overnight. So you're, it, yeah. you're talking to the doctors and not only, I mean, to, to come to terms with the death of your husband. Which and, they didn't tell me for ages, but I knew it happened. Right. Okay. So you, that was kept from you for. It was kept from me for about, they wanted somebody there with me who knew me when they told me. Right. Just because they didn't know how you would react. Because they didn't and, know how I'd react. And the person who told me was about, she was only about four foot 11 and was um gorgeous, gorgeous lady from Philippines or somewhere um she was the consultant mm -hmm. at the time and she was a Christian yeah and I remember her telling me and said I already know wow and she was so relieved yeah kind of you, you know yeah. that I already knew and everything but like you yeah. said you, you knew in the car I knew in the car it's like I almost heard him breathe his last but it was like I knew he wasn't there when I said his name yeah it was just you know, something different. He was gone. I mean, they still made me see his body, mm -hmm. you know, and I went to the funeral tied to this bed, mm. which was done in the gym at the um, the hospital. Wow. So it was completely weird, completely surreal yeah. 
feeling of what is going on. Yeah. And I think it was the dawning realization that I hadn't just lost my husband, but I'd lost my future, uh, uh, my independence, yeah. my career, yeah. you know, my dignity, my every, uh, just everything. Everything. Uh, literally in one fell swoop. Yeah. And I was in the hospital with 13 long months. Yeah. And, you know, some of that, three months, four months of that, you spent literally laid down. Hmm. The only thing was I gradually got feeling back all over my body. Right. And gradually got some movement back. And the only conclusion they could come to is that is what's called an incomplete spinal injury, hmm. which means you get some movement and some kind of, I've got a sense of touch and things. Yeah. But for instance, if you p- poured hot water all over me, it wouldn't feel hot hmm. apart from on my head. Yeah. From my neck up, I can feel properly. Yeah. So people put things in your hand you know, to, I'm just trying to give people an example. Yeah, put things yeah. in your hand. Feel that. Well, I got no idea. I'll just drop hot things. Yeah. Or cold things. A cold glass of wine. Yeah. I can lose quite quickly. Right. Not because I've drunk it. <laughs> no. But because just, I literally, it's too cold for me to hold my yeah, fingers. Yeah. So it's learning, you know, it, it's just a whole, this life is a whole other ball game and it's not the one I would have chosen, mm. you know, so, so yeah. So you, I'm just trying to recap a little bit. So you're, you're coming to terms with a lot of things. All at the same time. All, yeah. at, all at the same time. Yes. You, those, those, that time in the hospital where basically you're going through excruciating treatment. Yeah. But also you, inside you must have been in excruciating pain. Like you said, you, you're not just mourning the loss of your husband mm. and everything that that meant and everything that comes with that. And that's enough alone for mm for everybody to, to cope with that. But then you're also coping with the, the, the loss of your job in the village. Yeah. You love, you're coping with the fact that you're going to need constant around the clock care yeah. for the rest of your exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah. And you're coping with a lot of different things. So what, what is going on in your, in your mind, in your heart with Jesus at this point? Yeah. Now this is, this is a really interesting time. Because people say that people with faith or belief, it's just a crutch. (laughs) You know, it's just something. But actually, I think it's harder to have a faith when things grow wrong. Because if you look at the world, it's a really screwed up place. (laughs) There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of, you know, things going on with earthquakes and, you know, um, wars and all the sort of things, a lot of which is man created. Mm-hmm. But there's, there is hard stuff in everybody's lives. It's not just mine. I had a lot at once. Mm-hmm. But having a faith sometimes makes it harder because how in the face of that do you believe in a loving, powerful God? Mm-hmm. You know, and choosing that position I knew God was in, with me in it. And mm. that is the central message of Christianity. That's, mm. the, that's why Jesus came. He's with us in it, Emmanuel. Mm. He's with us. And so when you get a load of manure come in your life, mm. you know, God is with you, shoveling away. Yeah. You know, and I think also I had, one of the other things I'd heard taught was that um, God will never put you through something that, you know, he that he won't, you know, find a way out of or whatever. Hmm. And that we don't have to endure anything. Jesus didn't endure. Yeah. So I can remember lying there and thinking, right. You know, at my worst moment, lying there thinking, 
Right, God. Then when were you ever paralyzed? When were you ever, you know, left like this? When were you left in discomfort and whatever? And, you know, because if I was uncomfortable, I couldn't do anything about it. And honestly, as clear as day, God came back to me, you know, when I was on the cross. Hmm. But you will never have me turn my back on you. Hmm. And I turned my back on Jesus. Wow. Because, you know, that shout into the darkness by Jesus, why have you forsaken me? Because God turned his back on his only son Hmm. because of sin in the lives of all of us, which is just the stuff we've done that's, you know, selfish or wrongdoing. Hmm. And that was as clear as day that God would never leave me again. It's that same theme, Hmm. but also he was with me in it. Yeah. And that I would never, ever have him turn his face away from me. Wow. I mean, hugely powerful. Incredible. I'm not saying that in the days in between it took some working out. Yeah. And still does, but it was like something I could hold on to. Yeah. And I think the other thing was I, back then most people just sat, lay in bed watching telly hmm. and I was in a ward full of bad lads, shall we say, mostly <laughs> you know, motorbike accidents or we're doing ridiculously roguish things that shouldn't have been, Yeah, to put it nicely. And I didn't really watch telly because yeah. we had a telly that if you couldn't, if you watch for more than two hours long, kind of went off. <laughs> Was that old? You know what I mean? Yeah. If, you, if you wanted to watch a film, you couldn't unless yeah. you, you know, kind of turned it off while the adverts were on. But we know your passion is reading. That's exactly it. And how did I read the Bible? Because I'm laid like flat on a bed, if you can imagine. Mm. So they had this thing which they could put flat over your face, like a perspex screen. Yeah. And we'll put a book on there. But getting a nurse to give you a drink of water on the ward was bad enough to turn pages of a book, (laughs) especially when I read quick was ridiculous. And I wanted to read my Bible and I couldn't because I wanted to turn over the page Mm. because, and then somebody said to me, why don't you try Psalms? Because you can read one at once. Yeah. That was probably the best thing somebody said. Yeah. Because all of life is there in Psalms. Mm. And it says, you know, life is tough, but God is good. But life is tough, but God is good. Mm. It's the rhythm of it's a, Psalms. It's a repeat, it's isn't it? It's great. Yeah. And it stood me in such good stead. And I, I now copy what Tom Wright does. He's a great writer and theologian. Mm. And he reads the Psalms every month, mm. besides anything else he's reading. Mm. And I, that is becoming more and more my practice. Yeah. Because it's the rhythm of life and it's real. Mm. And the first Psalm that they opened it on was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. <laughs> Which are the words of, you know, Jesus, but mm. our words back to God. Yeah. God is so gracious because he's allowed this book in the Bible where we're moaning at him, mm. you know, about our lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess what you're saying here is that those 13 months in hospital where you receiving treatment and readjusting and yeah. thinking life, actually what you found there was God really met you and met with you and spoke with you, yeah. even in the in the midst of yeah. what some people could never comprehend. Well, yeah, you, you don't realise until you're in it. And good friends. I was visited every of day. Of course, yeah. You know, and that's, they brought 
with them the love of God and their own love. Yeah, and that's a part. And that was no a doubt huge there's part times it. where it's too much because everybody, you know, even in the strongest yeah. person, it's too much at times to come. Yeah. So having that community of totally. other Jesus followers around you is so important and critical. I think as well, they were dealing with a problem as well. Hmm. Suddenly in the midst of all this, you know, God being with us and everything, there's yeah. this tragedy in the middle of this church of plant. And if any pe- people who are listening who are Christians can imagine that. Yeah. Everybody's young. They're in their 20s and 30s. Mm. They're having kids there. And suddenly something like that. And I think it can screw people's theology up. Yeah. You know, before it was all black and white. Yeah. With maybe a magnolia in the middle and a <laughs> bit of grey. Mm. And it's no coincidence that at the time that the colours coming out for houses were like, Rose white, yellow white, violet hmm. white. You know, we've just painted the sh- church shark white or something. Uh, it is called or great gr- white. Great white. This, great white yeah. is the underbelly of a shark. Yeah, that's right. Well, well you know, what is that's a ridiculous thing. But all these colours now, <laughs> you know, it gets a little shade of this, you know. Yeah. And actually, I think that's what theology is like. It yeah. shades a thing. Faith is something very different. Hmm. That's right. Faith is something completely different. To, mm. And I think some of the people who poke fun at Christianity have got held up on the kind of theology bit mm. and don't realise it's the faith bit that matters more. Mm. You know, so I would say I'm not religious mm. at all. Mm. You know, I wouldn't want to be. Yeah. But I do have faith mm. or maybe a lot of hope that sometimes turns into faith. Mm. Sorry, I interrupted no, you. I just no, wanted to that's say that's absolutely that, what we need to hear. Yeah. And I think so. so uh, and that's it. So, so you have this huge change in event. Yeah, it changes everything. Yeah. And actually, what you're saying is, is God uses that not just to not just to question you and your faith, yeah. and actually where you stand with Him. And and those powerful words about you know how God will never turn away from you. No. Jesus experienced that, but you never have to because of Him. Because of Him. Um, but. Not only that, but actually friends around you, the community that you're part of, King's Church itself, right? in it's yeah. founding days actually has this moment where they have to come to terms with some really difficult questions yeah. and actually God, God needs to come and speak to them. Yeah. That's incredible. And that fight, people found that hard. And so that, and I think people still do and they, you can come out with like platitudes, like everything happens for a reason. Hmm. You know, and I just think that is complete. Of course it does. It's called cause and effect. Mm. It always does have, Mm. you know, we invented the wheel, which Mm. eventually caused my car accident or whatever. Mm. You know, there isn't, the cause and effect can go back. So of course everything happens for a reason, but some of it's my own making, some of it isn't. Some of it is just life happens, Mm. you know, and I think... Same with try and make sense of things. People sometimes heap things on people mm. about, you know, things like trying to make sense of it in a kind of biblical way. Yeah. That actually suffering goes on, mm. difficulties go on. Yeah. You know, we're not exempt from all the rubbish in life. Yeah. Christians get cancer as much as other people do. Mm. It's just that how you do how you do it without God 
oh, I don't know how people do it without mm. God. And I guess that's the question, isn't it? How how do you deal with things? How, yeah. when, when things go on in your life, when things happen. Yeah. Some things incredibly tragic and life-changing and some things not so life-changing, but feel tragic. Feel tragic, yeah, exactly. Um, but how do we deal with those challenges? How do we... <laughs> How do we turn, do we turn to God? Do we turn to friends? Do we turn, you know, to other Jesus followers? Or do we, or do we kind of cope with our own coping strategies? Well, I really appreciate that, Joe. Well, look, I just want to look at what, mm-hmm. what does this look like now in your life? Yep. Um, you know, that was coming up, you know, 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I've been in a wheelchair longer than I was before. Yeah. So that's kind of a different It's probably life. as long as you've been alive. It's not far behind. Oh, that's just the, oh. <laughs> it's not far oh, behind. I'm glad we have, I'm glad this is not done, you know, with television. I know. And there's no just cameras so, in the room. It's okay. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> um, but what's that played out like in your life now then? I mean, we're talking about an experience with Jesus all those years ago in that hospital bed. But how is that kind of lived out in your life in terms of now? What does that look like now? Tell me about Jill in this moment, thinking back to that time, you know, even just talking about it probably brings up memories and thoughts. Mm -hmm. But what does that look like on a day to day when, when no one else is around, the carers have gone home, you know, family's not on the phone or whatever. How does that play out now? How are you doing with Jesus now? And even just thinking back to those moments of... God making those promises to you. Mm. What's that? I mean, I guess what I'm looking for is that God promised he'd never leave you mm-hmm. and he is sufficient. Mm-hmm. So tell me about what that feels like now. Now is a very interesting time in my life. I think over the last three years, well, actually no less than that, probably two years. I've lost both my parents, mm-hmm. um, one my dad to cancer, and I've had two quite big health scares where I've had to be blue lighted into hospital. And um, it's made me hit the pause button. And then we had the pandemic mm-hmm. and I've had to leave a quieter life than I have done previously. Mm-hmm. And also I'm getting on in age and things I used to be able to do, I can't do anymore. Um, And so that's had a huge impact, I would say. But that, what I've said about God being with me, I would say has been like the hallmark of my life. Hmm. God's been with me in everything I've done. I would say sometimes it's a daily choice. Like anything, we've got a choice. Hmm. And sometimes it's a choice just to choose, Hmm. you know, to be, to be happy. Yeah. You know, and to, and I know also the things that have always stood me in good stead, nature, I've got a gorgeous garden. Mm-hmm. And one of the things my mum and I did all the way through the pandemic, she stuck at home in Malvern down south and had just lost her husband of 60 years. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck up in Darlington and able to go and see her. We shared on the phone, you know, every day, but we always ended by, you know, thinking what we got. Yeah. And I just think I've got a roof over my head. Mm. I've got a warm bed to sleep in. Mm. I've got food in the fridge and in the freezer and in the cupboards. Yeah. You know, I've got clothes to wear. I've got books to read. I've got friends. I've got, I mean, I'm blessed with the most beautiful view out my window. Yeah. The garden that I absolutely love. There are birds singing, you know, there's things growing. And I just, all of that 
is there by the grace of God. Yeah. I, you know, I'm thankful for life. I live in a Western country. Yeah. So I can get medical help. That's right. I have a flushing toilet. <laughs> yeah. I've got clean water. Yeah. You know, I've got, I've got, and if that's all we have, wow. Yeah. You know, I'm educated. I've been able to, and the more and more I think about that question, we're all going to get asked one day by God. All of us have stood before God and he's not, he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? <laughs> and I think, what did I do with my time, my intellect, my abilities, my emotions, and all the things I own and whatever, what did I do with it all? Yeah. And that, you know, I know with my parents will be asked that they can honestly say, you know, what they did with everything was, you know, they shared their lives, their time, their everything. Mm. And it's always been a challenge to me to think, right, what did I do with what I got? Mm. Everything I've been blessed with. And if you choose to look at life that way, and I think it's a daily fight and a daily choice. There is sometimes I get up and I've had a really bad night. I haven't slept very well. I've been uncomfortable. Things are just not gone well. There's, you know, stuff coming in like everybody has, you know, like stupid things like that. The roof is leaking. Yeah. And the gardener's going to leave because he's 75 and yeah. you've got to find a new gardener. And there's always that constant battle to have the right carers in place. Yeah. You know, and I've got a car sat on the drive that I can't use because I don't have carers who can drive or. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, so it goes on. Just stuff that life just, just stuff throws that you life every that day. throws you. Yeah. And it's sometimes a little thing that can throw me over the edge. Yeah. And I'll have a right shout about it <laughs> I, honestly I do yeah and then I choose life again mm. you know and I and I read I stick to what I say about Psalms mm. and I've still got good friends who I can bounce stuff off and yeah. who know me really well and know how stroppy I can be yeah and how I can just and I think I would say some of my stroppiness is still being good stat mm. because I'm stroppy about important things too. Yeah. I won't let them go. Yeah. And it also gives you a bit of fight in you. Yeah. And so I think that, but also I've learned to turn what is loneliness into solitude, mm. which is a totally different thing. Absolutely. I can appreciate being with people. I love it. But my energy doesn't come from that. Yeah. I'm probably a bit more of an introvert than you I You recharge alone. I recharge alone. Yeah. And I have to recharge well alone, I think. Mm. Yeah. My last question, I guess, is is the people that have been listening to this and well done to everybody who stuck with us till the end. Yes. Um, she rabbits on a lot, doesn't she? No, definitely not. It's <laughs> been it's been fantastic. But just what would you hope that people would take away from your story and what you've shared today? What would you hope that people would kind of put in their pocket, you know, for yeah. for the, for another day? People often say, oh, I really admire you, Jill, and, you know, you must be a real saint or whatever. It's absolute and utter rubbish. <laughs> and honestly it is because none of this is possible without, a, you know, it's not possible without the life of God in me, mm. without the life of Jesus through me, mm. without constantly, you know, I am... I am, I wouldn't be a nice person. I don't think without, without Jesus, you know, mm. I, it's him, not me. Mm. It's by his grace. I look back and as shocked as anybody else mm. that I've made it to 30 years in a wheelchair mm. without either throwing myself down a set of steps or drowning myself or something, or, um, kind of, you know, being miserable and sat in a corner. Mm. I, 
looking at me and who I am, but by grace of God, you know, other words again, and that's just all, the grace of God is just Jesus being in our lives and all that he was and all that he is and all that is to come is still part of my life now. Yeah. I, I can't explain it really in another way. And also that just that, the fact that it's, it is a fight. We've all got to fight this. You know, we've all got to, we hold on to what we believe. We mm. don't let go of the other end of that bit of rope. No. And God always fulfills, it always fulfills his promises. Maybe not in the same way. I still wanted, you know, I, I still miss it. Now my friends are having, their children are having children. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I won't have that. I won't be a grandma because I'm not a mum. Mm. Um, and as people get older, their lives change, but mine stays the same. Yeah, there's no natural change to it, but that doesn't stop you looking for things in the future. No. And I think the, the other thing is, I hope for much, hmm. and it's hope. You know, hope's an anchor. It's not a wishy-washy thing. No. Hope in the Bible is described as an anchor mm-hmm. because of who I hope in, yeah. not because of me. <laughs> so when I stand before God, it won't be because of me. It'll be because Jesus died for me, mm. you know, and that's where my hope is or I'm stuffed. <laughs> so what you're saying to people is there's so many promises that God's making to you. Yeah. And even though your life doesn't pan out the way that you hope or want it to at times actually ever ever (laughs) at times or ever actually it's a it's about trusting in him yeah and i love that picture of don't let go of the rope god god won't let go of his end exactly there's a promise there let go of your end that's it why don't we just finish by just praying and just uh allowing people just to reflect um lord we just thank you thank you for jill sharing so openly and honestly today Lord, I just pray that as we hear the story, it wouldn't just be, that's nice to know about Jill, but actually you would speak to us through the power of your spirit. Yeah. Uh, you would come and touch us, Lord. Yeah. Work in us. Lord, help us to remember the words, just just what Jill's experienced actually about. Lord, even in the darkest moments of our lives, you never let go of that rope. Yeah. And Lord, you're calling us to never let go of ours. And Lord, sometimes it's trusting. It's trusting that you still got hold. Um, When we can't see you, when we can't hear you, Lord, we just know you're there. So Lord, we just pray you'd bless Jill. Bless the people who have listened. Yeah, Lord, bless. And uh, and Lord, you would just come and uh, just continue to speak to us as we go about our day, go about our week, whatever it is that we're doing. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, Jill, I want to thank you so much for sharing and just being open. Oh, it's nice just having a chat. It is nice having (laughs) a chat. I'm just really glad that you came to chat with me and and just to share that story. It's a little trip out in the pandemic for me, Mike. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's a good reason to be out at the moment. So thank you so much. And, uh, And thank you to everybody who listened and stuck with us. I hope you have a great week.